A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Nature Biotechnology's first Rounders podcast. If you're listening for the first time, my name is Brady Huggett. I'm the host of this show. If you're not listening for the first time, you already know that. But you don't know the guest. The guest today is Nina Tandon. She is the CEO and co-founder of EpiBone, a company based right here in New York. The New York biotech scene is growing quickly, I'd say, but this is the first time I've ever interviewed a local company. Um, you know, she took the subway into her office. So we talked about... Her being a New Yorker, she's sort of a lifelong New Yorker. She had some time at MIT in Jersey, but basically, lifelong New Yorker. We talked about her experience both during and after 9-11 in the city. Um, we talked about uh, her parents. We talked about the founding of EpiBone, how that came to be, and um, and motherhood. She's a new mother. She just had a baby, so we talked about that too. Anything else? Nope, I think you're ready to go. So here it is, your first Rounders podcast with Nina Tandon. Listen up. I want to know when we're starting. We are, it is rolling now. So you mentioned, we just mentioned, you actually are like a New Yorker by birth, by life? I'm a lifer. I live in the... I live in the zip code that my parent that I grew up in. You Which know, is what? 10044, Roosevelt Island. Um, my parents moved there not too long after they got married when they wanted to start a family. It's kind of like a suburb in the middle of the city. Yeah, so, I know it. But are they, yeah. are they, were they lifelong New Yorkers? No, they... my mom is from Buffalo. My dad's from India. So they met in grad school at Tuck at Dartmouth and uh, moved to New York City together. Neither of them had lived in the city. And um, and they were in Howard Beach, taking the train to the plane to like come into the city for their commutes. And yeah. then when they knew they wanted to start a family, right before my older sister was born, they moved to Roosevelt Island. And, you know, I, I, I'm lucky enough that, you know, I was able to um, put my name down on a lottery and get my name pulled to buy an apartment there probably about two, 2008. Seriously? Was yeah, it was a Mitchell Lama co-op. I got very lucky. My name got pulled and I bought... Um, while I was still finishing up grad school, bought a studio. This is when they they were doing that, kind of like the first construction on Roosevelt Island, right? Yeah, my parents were in one of the first original four buildings there called the Wire Buildings. Um, there were four buildings, Westview, Island House, River Cross, Eastwood, so they called them Wire, W-I-R-E. And uh, now there's a lot more development, but they were one of the in the one of the original four buildings. But the, for the lottery for you, that was... That was uh, amazing, yeah. That, that was like... I'm trying to remember because I, I went out there. I've only been once, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it was maybe 2007. And mm -hmm. they were just starting to do a lot of construction. A lot of construction. So there were, yeah, since that time, in terms of housing, they've developed um, a whole complex of housing that's for... Some of it's earmarked for NYU, Memorial Sloan Kettering, oh. because that's a really short commute for them. Um, and then there's also another development on the north end of the island as well. And now Cornell Tech Technion is also really changing the landscape. I had no idea. So when you were growing up there, none of that was there. It was just kind of this quiet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a little... Uh, Sneaking into ruins of an old smallpox quarantine. That's right. It's a little spooky at that end of the island. rat myself out. But yeah, <laughs> it was really cool. I, I love, I think, I mean, I love that that island for the reasons you mentioned. It's like this mm -hmm. little, I mean, you'd say oasis kind of, mm -hmm. stuck between the two land masses of New Oh, City, yeah. Right? When you type the word island in the iPhone and a palm tree pops up and I'm like, that is the emoji, island life. For, for, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you were coming in for school and everything? Or, or? I went to school on Roosevelt Island, um, you know, through eighth grade and then commuted off for high school. 
Yeah. And and I went to nursery school there. It's funny. I um, We now have a baby daughter, and I'm an alum of the nursery school we are sending her to in September. That's it's amazing. kind of funny to say, yes, I'm an alum from when I was three. <laughs> but the, I'm actually, there's a whole cohort of people in my situation um, just on the floor that I live on in, in my apartment building are two couples that I grew up with. And who all who have all started families there as well. So they there's do. this multi generational thing that's kind of developing on the island now. It's like people like me who want to be near their parents when yeah. they're having kids. There's this like oh, three gener yeah. So there's like oh this multi generational kind of community that's developed in a way that's got. I, I I would think small towns across America might be jealous of that because we don't even really find that in the U.S. Yeah, very many places, let alone within the five boroughs. Yeah, a three generation community. You know, with that continuity, it's totally really amazing. Uh, so, when you were growing up, did you have to like come into Manhattan to do grocery shopping and things? There's like a couple. We like, had small... a grocery shop, but a lot of people would supplement with stuff they buy off the island. Now, it, with um, a lot of this gig economy stuff, it's possible to really have a, a lot more stuff delivered. Um, you know, whether it's you know takeout coming in from Queens or or what have you but when i was a kid yeah there was like the one supermarket the one drugstore yeah. and yeah. very small town and it still has that feel like you know you walk down the street and you see people and that you know oh yeah oh yeah my 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 parents can barely walk down the street cuz my it's dad's so been really involved in in um the community as well and um yeah, it's it's really a, it's 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 far out to be in, on Roosevelt Island. Yeah, I've, to I've, marry into a family like that too is like a lot to ask. So I I feel like my husband gets a gets some kudos. You mean like for the that. clannishness of it, or what? a little bit? He calls. I mean, my last name's Tan, and he sometimes calls it Tandonia. Like it's just uh, <laughs> it's sort of like it's a lot to it's come so into. I, mean, I think so. I've, I've been living here like. 13 years, and mm -hmm. I think you're the first person I've met who actually grew up on Roosevelt Island. I have heard that before. It's amazing. But if you knew another person, I you bet would I would them. know that person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're growing by this island. Yes. The closest thing to you being another big island, basically. That's Manhattan, right, the right? archipelago yeah. of New York City, yes. Uh, did you, so you, your parents met in grad school. Were they scientists at all? Or no, no um, my dad was a chemical engineer from oh, IIT, yeah. undergrad, um, and then was getting his MBA at Dartmouth Tuck, and, and my mom... Um, was was uh, similarly, you know, getting an MBA. Oh, yeah. So they're not science backgrounds, although engineering yeah, uh, certainly has a lot of basic science in there. So, so what do they do with with those MBAs? Well, my dad ended up um, working in oil and gas. He was a petroleum engineer. Um, plus MBA was, you know, there's at that point there was a lot of technical expertise that was really required to build pipelines, yeah. build them safely, essentially, and and um, and of course keeping the environment in. In mind, there were a lot of a lot of technical issues. So being a banker with that background was really helpful. Yeah. Um, my mom ended up going to Wall Street, working as a CPA, um, and then later when I she spent some time at home with us as kids. We were almost homeschooled for a few years, and then she went back to Wall Street when I was ten. Um, and then when I went to college, my mom went to law school. So we actually both really? graduated in uh, two thousand one together. I got my bachelor's, and she got her law degree, which was really what did cool. She, then she be, she switched to law. Yeah, so she was working as a lawyer. Um, did some some really fun cases um, that I you know she couldn't really talk too much about at home, and um, has done some work. Now, in, in sort of her retirement, doing work with um, on a pro bono basis with, like, law clinics and also doing some moot court and kind of keeping that, What's that alive. What's Where you're – my mom's name is Judy, so she'll still be Judge, Judge Judy, Judy in yeah. a moot, moot court where people kind of pretend that they're trying a case as practice. I didn't know that existed. And yeah, she would say a as a as a she'd been a judge, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. Like, as a court. judge, I would suggest you don't take that tact or – like that? I'm not sure what kind of feedback you get or if she if you really just do the role playing exercise oh. and you're the judge oh. and there's the exercise of going through it. I actually don't quite know the mechanics of that. Wow. Yeah. So she was a judge. Yeah, like in moot court, you know, this is something she does now in No, no, her... but I mean before that was she a judge? No, she was working oh, she was as a, just a as a lawyer. yeah, as a lawyer um doing a lot of document review. Uh. She ended up getting an LLM, uh, the 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 master's degree. So she did she went quite far with her training. Yeah. And and I think has always, you know, been, I think, an example um, for me personally about someone who's um, really not afraid to pivot, you know, to 
to say, to really just show, you know, hey, it's you can go back to school, you can retrain, retool, yeah. and do something new. Even if your kids are in college, that's a great time for. How your, old was she then? She was in her fifties um, at oh, that man. time. I'd love to ask you about like the. the and she was not being, the young, the um, the, oldest the oldest person. No, but not by a long shot. No. Wow. wow. Yeah, and it was just really great to see her. You know, she'd be studying and I'd be studying. I actually lived at home for undergrad. Um, I went to Cooper Union, and um, it was really inspiring to see her go to school and yeah. to graduate in the same year. Yeah. It was really cool. and <laughs> Caps and down for both of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so then as you're growing up at this, at the time, I guess she was Wall Street, and then your father, who was oil in finance, yeah, yeah, finance, but for an uh, oil company. How did you start getting interested in, in science? Well, um, uh, I should mention my dad was actually at a bank, so he was doing the, the financial side of, oh, of, I'm sorry. of, yeah. of helping these projects yeah. um, take root. Um, so, but they, you know, I think my mom had um, had worked as a school teacher prior to getting her MBA. She was a, a grade school teacher, and I think just has, beyond that training, just a real intuition for how to learn. Um, you know, she had a real knack for just getting us excited about learning. I yep. mean, we used to, there were, I'm one of four kids. We used to read a lot together, like novels as bedtime stories, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I just, I remember she had all the, you know, when we were doing our science experiments as kids, um, science fair is a lot of times, you know, you, you kind of imagine kids making a volcano or something right. in the house. Right. And, um, but what was interesting is that my mom had this kind of social science training, and she would encourage us to experiment on the class, you know, say like, well, you're, you've got these students here. Why don't you like, why don't we see what we can do and learn about, you know, and, and, and she had this way of, of kind of helping us with our homework, but without doing it for us yeah. in a way that's, um, I think just really helped us have ownership of it. We used to go to the research library as kids and, and we spent a few years in Toronto when my, my dad was with the Bank of Montreal. Um, so a How few, I was uh, six to 10. Oh, and, um, and that's so, interesting. yeah, so in Toronto, um, we had these amazing science experiments, and, and it was we'd go to the research library and say, you know, well, if I want to learn how people remember stuff, and she'd like help point me towards research papers. I mean, I just I, it was that was kind of crazy if I think about it. And um, and then there were also really fun things that we did where um, you know she taught us how to measure pie out of pots and pans because we would just take a tape measure and measure the circle around a pan and measure the diameter across a pan. And you do that with like soup cans, pans, plates, and you start to get a sense of the fact that there's a real pattern yeah. in in circles. And, um, you know, or we'd ask, hey, how tall are the stairs? And she'd be like, you know what, let's, how would we figure that out? And start drawing similar triangles and be like, well, if we can measure this angle and we know how long this is, then maybe we can guess how long that is. And like really kind of just hands-on teach us a lot about, well, how would you answer that question? And, and inevitably, there would be some sort of measurement, some sort of hypothesis. And it was a lot of that science stuff when I look back now. And I think that was my first research group. You know, my mom was the head of my first research group with, <laughs> with my siblings. Yeah. And we used to all, you know, dive into our siblings' um uh, science experiments. You know, I did I did one on the primacy recency effect in third grade. On um, it's 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 this fact that we all kind of know now that when you get read a list of words, you remember the first ones and the last ones, and probably not the ones in the middle. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and um, uh, just just that was you know an experiment that I got to see firsthand with my class. My sister Sheila was spent one year measuring depth perception um, by blindfolding people one eye and the other, and like holding, you know, our ring toss toy to be like, okay, is the ring over the over the little spike and yeah. and measuring the fact that when people used both eyes they could they had better depth perception. I mean, psychophysical kind of experiments is yeah. what I learned in grad school was the name of those kinds of experiments, you know, trying to get a sense of how people's sensory systems work. And and my mom didn't really draw a distinction between social sciences and like and psychology in particular. Um, with other types of science that I ended up going into later. It was a really fun kind of introduction to to science. And I'm not sure how, yeah, I'm not sure how premeditated that was necessarily. Yeah, she was just... It's it's sort of like, um, you know, know, she's sort of like, well, I'm going to explain to you that you can figure out the world, kind of. Like, all all children have questions. Right. We can figure it out Mm -hmm. if you think about it. 
Yeah, and when I was um, in in college, I was studying a lot of business classes. Yep. Um, I was an engineering student, electrical engineering undergrad, and um, and I was taking a lot of business classes at Pace in Manhattan, which uh-huh. is not too far from where you and I are sitting right now. And um, and I remember asking her questions about um, my mom about uh, debits and credits because she's a CPA. And, and she would always sort of say, well, how would I answer that question and, and kind of reduce it to first principles? And also so just had this way of kind of demystifying the process of learning. A lot of times when people are an expert in something, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to break it down and build it up for another person. And I, I think my mom had a real knack for that. And, and I would say my dad did as well. I mean, my father helped me so much in, um, in high school, especially um, with my math classes, um, because sometimes I wouldn't understand what the professor or the teacher was saying. And I would ask him a question. And again, he would be like, well, okay, let's break that down and let's build that up again. And I think he he, he often said that um, at IIT, which is where he went to school for grads, for undergrad, that they were expected to know the basics of every engineering discipline when they, um, at least to a certain degree, before yeah. they would then specialize. And I think um, he never he always retained the ability to break down these questions into first principles. Yeah, they both really had that in common, I would say, with sort different like disciplines. Yeah. Critical thinking, kind of. Right, yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been so, lucky. With your siblings, where, where do you fall in that, in that mix? Well, you know, cue the violin. I'm uh, I'm neither the oldest, oh. the youngest, nor the boy. Um, and I, you know, that's my little chip on my shoulder. I'm sort of like lost in the middle of this brood of of four, uh, five. four, uh, four, four. Three others. So I'm the older middle. So I have an older sister and a younger brother and a younger sister. Okay, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, answer. and we're pretty close like. in age. We're really. It's nice now. As Are adults. they all in New York, too? Are they, are they No. Out? My older sister, Sheila, and my younger sister, Mira, are both upstate. My, my older sister, Sheila, and I had gone to grad school together. We were both at MIT. Huh. She was studying um, photovoltaics, making crystals that could make circuits of light. Um, and she also had a female um, advisor. I ended up going into biotech and um, with Gordana Vunyak Novakovic, who was at MIT at the time, and then moved. And then my younger brother did his PhD in applied math at Columbia and is now a professor at York University outside of Toronto. Um, He did a lot of climate change modeling um, and worked for Environment Canada and now is uh, is an engineering professor. And the younger sister is the rebel. And she is uh, running – she's she's doing a lot of work to make buildings – she works for a company called Sentient Buildings where they're introducing intelligence into buildings to help them kind of – um, manage their energy usage and that distribution like a rebel. And stuff. That sounds like yeah. Well, she has not gone to grad school yet, so she oh, is the rebel. The, that's the reason. Um, there's three PhDs, so, and, and, and she's yeah. a rebel. But um, but I think we all ended up kind of being drawn into scientifically. Yeah, yeah. One way, know, or, another, yeah. One way or another. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're finishing high school, uh, which is on the island on Manhattan. Yeah. I yeah, on the island of Manhattan. It was a girls' school, oh, so it was okay. a small Catholic girls' school, one of fifty. Oh, you're Catholic. My, I was raised Catholic. Oh, okay. There's a lot of religions in the in the mix in my and my my uh, ancestry, but my mom is Catholic. My dad was raised Hindu, uh-huh. and we were raised Catholic. How'd that go down? Do you, do you consider yourself like a lapsed Catholic? Or you- um, I I actually. Um, I'm I'm an agnostic in terms of my own religious bent. Yeah. Um, however, you know, there's this. I really there are aspects to various religions that I I really like cherish and love. Yeah. Um, and some of those come from my father, through my father's side of the family. My my father's mother was very um, pious Hindu woman. And, yeah. um, and there's a lot that I've learned that I really love and respect from that tradition. And I feel similarly about Catholicism. And, and I know that there's I, so I have a bit of a hodgepodge in my own mind that sort of reconciles how reincarnation could coexist with, you oh, know, cool. linear views of life and sort of just or uh, a revolution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. I sort of don't really have I I don't feel like I'm any 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 of these religious leaders would look at what I'm, the mishmash in my head and be like, that makes no sense. Um, but I think I have a respect for the tr- some of the traditions like prayer, meditation, yeah, the spiritual side of it, kind of the spiritual yeah. side of it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas other people might be just have a different take on it. I and I married a, a Jew actually, and so we had a we had a really hodgepodge type of of wedding. I wanted everything. I wanted the broken glass. I wanted I wanted some uh, Bollywood music. I wanted um, you know, and and we our, our religious 
to the extent that there are religious people in our family, and there yeah. are a few, but not it's it's not predominant. But it was nice to borrow from all of those yeah, elements. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Do you, so then the, that leads to one question: Is like for your children, is there any strife between the two? Like, what are you going to do with this child? Like, is it going to go to Catholic school? Yeah. Is it going to go to synagogue. Hot or, button n- issue. I don't yeah. know. I don't know because I, I I'm I'm agnostic, but also more open minded towards religions. Yeah. And um, so I don't know. I mean, she's only four months old. Well, she's yeah, five yeah. months old now, so yeah. we haven't figured it out. But I like the idea of some sort of exposure to um, religious traditions because they have such deep roots in humanity. I think to be yeah. not exposed to any of those threads would be sort of missing out. Yeah. Um, and yet, how do you do that in a way that's authentic? And I, I don't know. We're not quite there yet. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the, the concept of, as you just said, traditions, right? I mean, traditions, mm-hmm. whether you um, go to a church or a synagogue or whatever, like the, the idea of traditions that we do this on Saturdays or we do this on this holiday. Mm-hmm. The think, ritual. Yeah. The ritual, yeah. I think families really like handing that down. And it's a, those are probably positive memories for you. Mm-hmm. And you maybe want to instill it in your children at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something I'm... And your husband, I, too, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's something really beautiful about just the collective kind of work that has gone in every generation. In a way, we kind of wake up new people and wanting to absorb as much as we can and at the same time contribute to the... I mean, thousands, over thousands of years, we've developed these these spiritual paths. Yeah. You know, Um it's it's anyway. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. My my yeah. We'll so see. you did you enjoy high school, Catholic high school? I enjoyed high school. I'm glad I have my friends from high school. I wanted to go to a small school um, that I wasn't going to feel lost in, yeah. and that had a strong liberal arts tradition because I sort of had this sense. Look, like I know I'm going to specialize in. So I kind of had this sense I wanted to specialize in science. I just felt like age 14 was a little early. And so, yeah, and I wanted to go to a a high school that would allow um, a little bit more of a broader education in especially the liberal arts and language. And and I'm I'm glad I had that sentiment because I think that is true. I would still agree with that. I feel like it is a little early to specialize too deeply in STEM at at such an early age, yeah, and then, yeah. and then even though exposure is great, right. I just you know to have and I, some high schools have majors. I didn't have a major in high school. Yeah. I felt like that was maybe a little more than yeah. what I was looking for. But also, you, you know, your parents had such rounded educations, law and yeah, I guess and so. Science, all of that, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. then you 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 were you thinking about leaving New York for for college, or you wanted to stay? You know, it's interesting. Time? I only applied to MIT and Cooper Union for college, and I did half of an application to Harvard early decision. Um, and I didn't complete the Harvard application because I got into Cooper and MIT. And um, and I I uh, I really had that was like I didn't want to cast a wide net. And then I it really came down to well, look, Cooper Union's free. Is it? It was. It's. It was for its first 150 years. Um, they've only recently introduced tuition I saw in it the past like, few years, like three or four years ago. It's still reasonable. It's like it is. It's or different than free, yeah. um, and they're yeah. trying to get back to free. Um, how was how, how that funded in the first place? How are they? They doing own. There, there was a, the endowment was essentially the land that the Chrysler Building was built on. Okay. And so I basically was like, look, Cooper Union is was like, you know so highly rated in terms of its education, outranked MIT on many measures, and was free. Yeah, that's that's. An and I thought, there. you know, this is not, this is, this is, this is winning the lottery. Let me, I want to go to the place that's free. That's and twice. You won the lottery. Yeah. The yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I ended up going to MIT later for grad school, yeah. um, which did not cost me money because by then I was, you know, you earn a stipend at that point. Yeah. Um, but that was a big choice. Yeah, super, super, super smart, right? To do it that way. I look back, I don't regret it. No, no, and and it was so small. I loved. I, I'm still very much in touch with um, my my dear thesis advisor, Toby Cumberbatch. I mean, he's he came to my house after graduation. He, my, I should mention, my sister and my brother and I all went to Cooper. You did, um, and sort of had the same thesis advisor. So in a way, um, that's a bit of a family a, a tradition yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Were you there at the same time? Some, some, some of it. Bit, yeah, a little bit. I overlapped two years with my sister and then two years with my younger brother. What's the enrollment there? 
There were about 125 oh, really small. Oh, engineers okay. in a given year. Okay. About 1,000 kids total. Total. Because they have a pretty There's good art, art program. Arch- art and architecture are really good. Yeah. Engineering is really good, too. Um, but they're legendarily difficult in architecture and engineering and, 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 and art especially. So when I went to grad school at MIT, a lot of times people hadn't heard of Cooper Union because it's a smaller school. Yeah. But the architects were all like, oh, Cooper Union. And I was like, I like you guys. And I hung out a bunch with the <laughs> architects. <laughs> sort of. Validation. Say validation. Yeah, also, yeah. architects are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I still yeah. like architects. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so then you finish that. And yeah. you've got your degrees bioelectrical engineering or something? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, this is worth talking about, um, maybe. Um, but I did electrical engineering undergrad, worked as a software engineer in telecom in New Jersey, after uh, graduation and um, for how long? Two years. My oh, wow. my first day of work was actually September tenth, two thousand one, uh-huh. and uh, you know the world really did change um, so quickly during that that time. Um, and you know a lot, you know like many people from New York, I mean I, I got involved with volunteering um, with some of the cleanup and just found. You know, had lost people that I knew and loved, and in the towers, um, in the towers and um, your mom feeling, must have too, right? Well, oh my gosh, it was it was very hard for a lot of New Yorkers. I mean, a lot for everybody, but um, it it was such a, a pivotal time in my life. Um, you know, just kind of growing up a little bit, getting my first job out of college, moving away from home for the first time. Oh, you lived, you I was, moved to Jersey? I, yeah, I moved to Jersey um, and, and, and lost both of my grandmothers actually around that time. And so it was a time of a lot of soul searching and a lot of kind of grief. And um, I ended up taking classes at the local community college in anatomy and physiology, just kind of trying to feel like I was adding something, you know, doing something for myself, learning. And um, and that got me really excited about seeing a lot of the connections between the technology in our bodies and the technology of, you know, the built environment. And yeah. and so as an electrical engineer, I knew that I wanted to go into um, the intersection of that and biology. And there was a program called Bioelectrical Engineering at MIT. And I was very much interested in neural prosthetics. Um, you know, my siblings... Um, I mentioned that you know we were, they were my first research group, um, but uh, we also each um, have very different vision. Like my my two sisters are actually both red green colorblind, and my brother had inherited um, from from my mother through her, her mom on my my grandmother's side a, a gene for retinitis pigmentosa, which is a single base pair deletion, as now we've learned many years later, um, results in a kind of degeneration over time of the retina. And um, I'd heard about the retinal implant project at MIT and Harvard and, and really wanted to get into retinal, um, uh, neural prosthetics. And, and then, of course, like what often happens when students show up like a kid in the candy store at a place like MIT is um, you just start learning and then all of a sudden your horizons broaden. And, um, and I became interested more broadly at that moment in um, – Electrical this, signals and wound healing, yeah, kind of more broadly, right. more broadly. Right. Yeah. So back, so you you started your job in Jersey. You'd moved out there. Yeah, I did. And then, like the next day, the Lower Manhattan is on fire. Mm-hmm. And you could, I mean, we're just like watching that with everybody else. Or did you come mm-hmm. home? Did you go back to Roosevelt Island with your family? I came home that Friday, and it was it was so hard to drive. You know, when when you're driving on New, in New Jersey towards Manhattan, there's this moment. Where you see the skyline yeah. up here, and um, and there was so much smoke still. I mean, and it was I was going home for the first, you know, my, my first week away from this job, and you know, it was two thousand one. So you know, people were you know, my dad was stuck in in his in his office trying to be there for his team and. Just, just making sure everyone was okay, you know, was all very remote. Um, you know, it was, it was a really, it was a really tough time. But your mother still wasn't working on Wall Street then, was she? Was she, was she a lawyer? Where by then? was she at that point? She yeah, had she, just graduated. Yeah. You know, I don't know exactly where she was on that day. I know my dad's office was in Times Square at the time, and um, so we were all, at, you know, we were all worried about what's. 
what's, what's next. next. Yeah, of course, mm-hmm. right. But so, like, n- not to get too dramatic about this, but like, if your mother hadn't pivoted, she would have still been on Wall Street that day. Yeah, I had friends who had started work and were late to work that day. Oh my God, that's I've on heard that story. the top oh. store. Be- people were voting that day. It was a, um, yeah, I it was. Yeah, just reliving some of that. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Really, I mean, and and now thinking about all the different ways it's sort of morphed in terms of the what what's come in the past, you know, now almost 20 years since then. Um, but there was a, a really pure um, kind of outpouring at that right at the time. A lot, so many people, you know, whether it was Canada opening up its homes to people who were stranded from travel or. Just everybody volunteering downtown, donating blood, you know, just it was a time where you, you also saw people's generosity towards yeah. each other. And only a couple of years later, there was a big blackout, which yeah. I don't know who remembers anymore either. But yeah, I do. it was yeah. sort of another example where we were like, oh, here we go again. You know, we're going to hold hands and be neighbors, you know. Yeah, it's like, uh, you, you know. There's a lot going. I mean, there's a lot going on, and and I think people tend to think there. There's a realization that people are. Um, I feel like we're actually the the instinct in almost every human being is like when somebody falls down, the instinct is to go help them up, mm-hmm. right? And it's yeah. kind of a shame that it takes something like half of Manhattan being on fire for that to occur. You know, the sort of opening of the heart thing. But when it does occur, that you sort of go, oh yeah, we are we're all human. in it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a shame that it takes something like that, but it is nice to feel it. Yeah, that's nice to feel it. It was a very painful time. And I didn't, I I mean, there were people who lost everything, you know, it it was even in my relatively unscathed, um, personally unscathed kind of, um, you know, the effect that it had on me personally, in a way, you know, so many people had so much really lost people close, close to them. And, um, but it was a painful time for so many people, and I think it really it did force a lot of soul searching of like, what am I doing with my yeah. life? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. No, I remember that. I remember that too. Um, okay, so yeah, MIT. MIT. Yeah, you come out of MIT. This mm-hmm, is a two year mm-hmm. program. Yeah, I mean, um, oh, okay. So I should um, just taking a step back, like I, when I so I you know did this class and I was having a really good time and I, I knew I wanted to go to grad school. Um, and I thought, you know, for the heck of it, why not apply for a Fulbright at the same time? Because oh, right. there's no yeah. there's yeah. no chance that, you know, I want to parallel track these two impossible things. And um, and never, you know, got very lucky there, too. Um, you know, I ended up winning a Fulbright scholarship. So I had deferred my MIT admission for a year. Um, so I worked for two years, then went on my Fulbright, and then came to MIT. The after Fulbright that. was in Italy, right? In Italy, in Rome. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. One of my the best years I've ever had in my life. I'm sure. What, like, what I did loved you, it. That must have changed you. Oh man, um, it was uh, with the Sensors and Microsystems Group at um, Tor Vergata University in Rome, and they were had developed this non-invasive, well, this this sensor array for for smell. And um, I, I joined a project that was developing it as for a use case for um, for lung cancer detection. And so I got a chance to work with patients in the hospital, got a chance to work in the lab on some of the instrumentation and to learn Italian. I took classes Did at you? the Vatican. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. it was like pretty trippy. Wow. And it was uh, one of the best years of my life. And, and the the Fulbright Foundation just celebrated its 70th anniversary in Italy. And um, I got a chance to go out go there back. and, and uh, help be part of the festivities. And, you still, um, can you still speak Italian? Um, Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Mm, poquino. <laughs> my really yeah, my my really close friend from my PhD and postdoc, Eliza, is Italian and um I get a chance to say like two words of Italian with her every once yeah. in a while. But yeah. yeah, I mean I the basic stuff like yeah. how to order food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the things yeah. you really I never mean. learned scientific Italian. I mean I could say like capacitors were condensatory and like you know and resistenze like resistors for a circuit yeah. like I learned a couple of things like cellulare like t- cells you know but not yeah. cancro pulmone was lung cancer but I I didn't really develop a fluency yeah. I was a little lazy yeah. um, to develop a true fluency well it's a year too I mean, it's not that long yeah it's not, not yeah, that long but I love it um, okay so then you then, go, you, then go to MIT right yeah and, then, so. and meet Gordana who's was a big person in your life? Yeah, yeah. very big person. She was um, she was my PhD supervisor. She was working as a principal investigator in the Langer Lab, and I know that you had Bob here on did, your yeah. on your podcast. Yeah. Um, so she was my um, transport recitation instructor, and I saw that she had um, been doing a lot of work on under on electrical signals as it related to cardiac tissue development, and I um, was just so lucky enough that she did invite me to work in her lab and she moved the following year to Columbia and then I moved with oh, her to be her how, I was okay. her first student then at Columbia okay so you, so I ended up started working with her in MIT but she was actually then soon transitioning out to Columbia and then I left to go be with her so when you went to MIT were you planning on, on doing a PhD oh yeah oh I, okay oh I yeah you just got a master's and then Mm-mm. you looked, okay so then you transferred with her and after finished I finished PhD. my master's yeah if I as opposed to staying a couple of extra semesters in which case my degree would have been from MIT yeah. I, I, I let I the breaking the kind of transition point for me was at the master's so just then made you the most sense came back to New York I did in yeah Columbia. in Columbia and I have I've had a, a a nice run with Columbia. I mean, I I did my PhD there, and um and then after working after the PhD, so the te- the PhD was ten years ago, so two thousand nine, worked at McKinsey as a pharma and med device consultant after that, and then kind of still wanted to get back into academia after that. Um, it was around the time of the patent cliff being a really big deal. Uh-huh. Um, it, Stem cells were really political at the moment, yeah. and um, and it was really clear that big that a, a lot of the innovation. I mean, this is a trend that now a lot of people are really aware of. But ten years ago, this trend that more and more of the most interesting innovations were coming out of academic labs. That That's was like in small and yeah. small companies coming yeah. out of those academic labs. That was something that I wanted to be a part of, mm-hmm. and um, and so she she invited me to come back to the lab as a postdoc. Um, sponsored my MBA, and so I ended up getting my MBA at Columbia too. And while you were doing, while I was doing my postdoc. So what, why the MBA? Yeah. You know, this is something that you know, MBA like like an MBA program, like any other piece of training is. You know, there's many ways to get to that the answers that you would get from a program like that. And in my case, I did want to have exposure to some sort of framework that's um, you know in a kind of curriculum manner. I liked this the structure of um, being presented the knowledge. Um, but, you know, most MBA programs really aren't about um, theoretical knowledge and, and and even problem solving to a certain degree. It's really about what are where are you in your life, um, you know, who are your classmates, who, the network that you're building for yourself with yeah. your classmates and professors. Yeah. That was huge. And, and for me, I think that has been certainly one of the most meaningful now 10 years out um you know beautiful things from having done that program the connections i mean deep connections like 
you know, the dean of my business school is someone that ended up investing in the company that we spun out. Um, you know, some of my my dearest mentors have become almost part of the family at this point. My classmates, many of them have invested in the company or I'm their client. Being, yeah. You know, it's a, it's, it's a meaningful, deep um, community. It's not just like you get someone I know. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. no, like there's a lot of love between um, because the of classmates. Like working on projects together and studying together yeah. for those reasons yeah working together on projects a lot of Columbia has a very team based yeah. um, approach to learning you have your learning team and you kind of go through your core curriculum as a team and do all your projects together and um, and then a lot of the after the extracurricular stuff you know we always there was always a bar that someone had picked out near campus yeah. and um, after class we'd all sort of congregate there and um, and then there was the international seminar so you kind of go on a trip with your some of your classmates and just really build beautiful friendships where'd you go I went to Cape Town South Africa oh, I wanted wow. to um, that one was uh, was new. I, I was really interested in, in learning about the, re- the developing retail sector there at the time. Um, it was the first mall that had been open in a, um, a township. Uh, and so it was really great to see just like what that means, what that meant yeah. and and just the the kind of um, blossoming middle class and and. And, and we were and do a project in our case on on grocery stores because that like retail you know at that level was like new, new in yeah, a way yeah yeah, yeah yeah so did the did the MBA have anything to do with you know the concept that your parents had both gotten one and that really you know it's funny because yeah so my my father we always joke that like my dad you know like a typical you know Asian um, immigrant parent you know thinks that the ideal degree for their child is you know PhD MBA JD you yeah. know. Yeah. squared like right. <laughs> so, right. yeah like you just say it fast it's yeah. like the one degree the PhD MBA did he and um, oh wait I didn't even say MD yeah. MD. No, did, MD I did I say yeah yeah because yeah, like, you gotta have the MD um, and uh, you know so when I was trying to sort of think about my next step my father was like have you thought about an MBA and I was like oh come on here it comes and then I really started thinking about it and 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 it's interesting because when when he would suggested that When he was getting his MBA, executive MBAs were kind of what you did if, like, your work sponsored you and it was sort of like an executive education, a little bit less rigorous. And what was interesting when I started then looking into it myself was I saw, you know, these executive programs are pretty legit. Like, they are – it's the full degree program, except you don't have to put your career on hold to go to school for two years. Because I was not at a point in my career where I wanted to put my career on hold for two years. I wanted – to supplement what I was doing with an MBA program. And and I think that in the intervening years between when my dad did and his MBA, my parents did their MBA and when I did, was um, that executive programs really became academically as rigorous, at least at Columbia, as um, as as certainly as much as a, as a full time program. Yeah. And um, that was that really sort of I, I thought to myself, well, a postdoc plus MBA is a very powerful combination. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll never forget my admissions counselor, um, the officer, sorry, who, um, who said, you know, I haven't seen a lot of applicants like you. And I was like, I bet you will. I you, bet you, you will. You will. It's starting I to said, you will. Oh. Yeah. And, and it has been a trend. So then how... We're getting close to the founding of Epibone, right? How did this? How did this happen? I so you have a co-founder. I have a co-founder my, who I've known since um, 2006. Um, I was studying cardiac tissue and electrical signals. Um, he was um, my sibling, essentially, in the lab studying bone and cartilage. He was a PhD student working with a postdoc who later went to Johns Hopkins. And so Ick, we call him. His name is Sarind Bumaratana. That's a very long Thai name. And, and like most Thai people, he has a nickname. Uh-huh. So it's like Nick without the N. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so we've known each other a very long time. Um, His work really is the scientific foundation of EpiBone. Um, When I was um, contemplating my next move um, in this McKinsey transition, Gordana had said, you know, I could really use your help with um, a business plan if you're interested in, in, you know, kind of exploring that. And I said, absolutely. And um, and so I that was my first exposure to Epibone was, um, you know, Ick and his his postdoc supervisor, Warren, were um, at a point where they were really 
getting to the end of kind of the basic science part of the of the story. They had figured out how to um, perfuse perfuse cells into three dimensional scaffolds and get those get those scaffolds to uh, have be fully populated kind of uniformly with these with this nice tissue uh-huh. and nice cells and and that's a lot of basic science. It kind of got to the point where like okay, what's next? A large animal study. Is that does that belong in the academia or is that a company? Right, and so that was hence the business plan. This was 2011, and Columbia actually started a program called Innovation Entrepreneurship. That was a boot camp for teams. Yeah, and so we were the first applicants in that program. We in 20, 2012 slash 13 that academic year, and um, so we spun out the company, incorporated it in 2013, got our first funding in 2014, and that's when we transitioned from being postdocs so 2014 so it's been five years now yeah how did you how did you get the funding how did that uh the first funding yeah. came from um did you, did you grants the, first grants SBIR? grants sbir we got a um an sbir grant from the nih we got a grant from the teal foundation so peter teal has yep. a foundation called breakout labs mm-hmm. um and those two grants were enough for us then to spin out the company and that's when we raised our first seed round and and did you I mean was like the Columbia network useful? For oh my the goodness! Round, or how yeah. Did, yeah, yeah. So I it, there was a confluence of things. One was this MBA program in which some my professors I mentioned you know my entrepreneurial finance professors invested all three of them as a block, um, and I'd, I'd say you know two two of our our two largest investors were also you know um, introduced us through the Columbia community. They were both executives and residents. I can't remember. Have you had just one or, or two rounds of VC funding? At this point? We have done. Um, we have raised uh, seventeen million dollars to date, um, but we have not done an institutional led round. We're doing our fir- we're, our first one is coming up now. So you, that seventeen has come from the family offices. Yeah, we have done um, three million of of grants, and the the the, the remainder has been with um, family offices and small funds. Wow. Yeah. That's a, so. That's a- it's a amount. It's a yeah, and it, and it's how much it's taken really to um, for five years um, to build a clean room that's ready for you know GMP manufacturing for human cell therapy. Yeah. Um, to complete all of our IND enabling studies for our first lead indication, we've now gotten our first IND, so that's good. And um, yeah, I mean it's it it's a we're a team of fourteen, and um, it's been a lot of work. Um, and tell me about yeah. the space, too. I mean, so you eventually mm-hmm. moved all this from out of Columbia. That's right. Yeah. So we were, you know, and, and in many ways, our journey really mirrors that of the New York City kind of ecosystem. We had moved. We knew that we needed our own lab space in order to get even an SBIR. Um, and it was around the same time that a professor from Columbia named Sam Sia, who uh, was was pretty involved in starting a co-working him, yeah. lab space yeah. in Harlem. Yep. And it was called Harlem Biospace. It was, I mean, it's you can't even make this up, but like it was a converted candy factory called Sweets Laboratory. Um, and we were using it. We had we were using it for it's biotech. It's like a shared, mm-hmm. sort of like a shared space. Which was perfect for us for the first yeah. year. Um, we got our SBIR. We started doing some science. Um, we hired a couple of people. But then by the time we were even just three people, we were like sharing one desk. And it, it was time for us to start looking for our own space. And, and we ended up moving into the SUNY Downstate Biotech Incubator in Brooklyn. And we have about 5,000 square feet now of our own. Yeah, so we have a GMP clean room that we've built out. Um, we've got a machine shop and then, of course, a, just a regular bio lab where we, we grow all the, the bones and cartilage and then any, and a quality lab. We need a quality lab so and that we can do all our assays for and kind of release criteria. Too. Yeah. Office space, shared open plan um, where we all sit together and then a couple of like phone boothy type small yeah. offices for people to take phone calls and have small meetings. Are you outgrowing that space? Not quite. But we can, we'll be comfortable... And our landlords are really wonderful. Um, so they're, they've been working with us and, and to make sure that we have uh, enough space. Um, they've been so gracious. Um, I think we're, we're going to be comfortable for the next the next chapter for sure. This, so let's talk about this, the IND. Yeah. Right, so you're, you're cleared. We're when, cleared. When, does, when does phase one start? May, so May 16th was a big day for us. We got um, our clearance. Um, and now 
um, you know, when you come down from the high of that, because it's, you know, five years of work, right. um, everything has gone towards that. And and now, you know, there's a set of activities ahead of us. We're like, like, oh, great. Congratulations. Work, right? You're actually at the beginning of like another bigger, huge, longer huge, marathon yeah. Yeah. times a thousand. Um, so, you know, in terms of where we are now and first in human, there's a few things that need to happen. Um, we need to ramp up and kind of convert our, all of our permissions now into the you know, the nitty gritty of IRB at the hospital and, right. and all of that. Um, so those activity, getting all the SOPs and converting the, the operating procedures and converting those into templates for collecting data. It's a lot of administrative work for that ramp up. Um, on the engineering side, we also have to um, start commencing um, engineering runs so that we can make sure that we are, you know, we have we have a couple of techs we need to hire yep. and and have those engineering runs going so that you know, we're not just rusty when we're growing our first grafts. And that, and, and so then, of course, that's funding dependent. You have to have your funding in place in order to commence the trial. So we're also raising a round of funding. Right. So yeah. do you have any idea how expensive this is going to be? And also, like, let's yeah. talk about what the trial is. Yeah, like, yeah. It's small, small trial. Small trial, six right? patients, one-year endpoint. It's a safety-slash-efficacy trial. It's a phase one, two. And um, that... Is is the reason why that is? Is there's no such thing as a healthy control when it's a bone graft? So you can combine elements that. of the safety trial with an efficacy trial. Okay, so then you, you know we're normally if uh, you were developing some vaccine, you could just you plug it into healthy volunteers and see if there's a safety. Right, there's no like that's not possible. That's here. not really possible here. So you need to find people with genetic malfunction of the bone and then actually do the graft. Yeah, so there's either trauma, cancer, or congenital defects. We're excluding any cancer from this trial um, and so it'll be congenital defects and um, uh, trauma and um, but it's it's six patients and we're replacing a, a portion of the jawbone um, and so it, we we believe that that's going to be very instructive for us towards um, towards other indications as well and and just having that one IND under our belt and and when we think about how we've constructed our pipeline and kind of sequence the different indications that we plan to go after um, it's cumul we've chosen uh, a cumulative way to build the value into the company. So right. the scaffold that we're using for the bone study is something that we also plan to use in, you know, build upon for some of our work in, in cartilage. So it's it's sequential and, and, and we've been thoughtful in terms of how we put it together because we wanted something that was cumulative, not just from like an IP standpoint, but also yeah. regulatory. because um, it's it's a lot of work, and to the extent that you can leverage what you've done, then it start then things start to you can build momentum. So, what what are the other indications that you're thinking about for the company? I mean, where, where yeah. else can you apply this? this so, technology? so this bone this this bone safety study, once that's completed, um, we'll be able to then work with the regulators to see um, how we can expand that. Um, for our second indication, we're we're doing um, it's not just bone alone, but we're doing bone plus cartilage. Mm -hmm. So, we're actually growing what we call an osteochondral graft. That is a game-changing application. That's not a niche. That's like, you know, there's 7 million Americans living with um, replaced joints in just, just you mean now. Like knee replacement. Knee, hip, uh, you know. Really? Okay. Yeah, so so being able to grow a lot of those knee, those joint replacements are really because of just a couple millimeters of damaged cartilage. Yeah. Like, it's not... It's, a, in a way, a, a very drastic solution. And so, you know, a lot of people have been working on... Um, you know, this and, and how to do better, whether it's making novel biomaterials or developing injectables. Um, osteochondral allografts, which is cadaver tissue, do those do really well in people. Uh -huh. There's just a very short supply of them. So we're just saying as engineers, let's engineer living grafts that um, mean that will do as well, hopefully, as these allografts will, but without the kind of issues associated either with supply constraints from cadaver tissues or um, harvesting from your own body, which, of course, has its own issues. Um, I want to ask about a few, a few things. Mm -hmm. One is, uh, you know, you, you and I have talked before about leadership coaching yes. at the company, right? Like yes. you not only brought that in for the CEO yourself, yes. but everybody at the team has a leadership yes. coach now. Yes, yes. I'm so, I'm so proud of our coaching. Yes. I want to ask about how that works. No, I want to ask a few things. Number one, how that works, what you get out of it. And then does that also just sort of like fold it into the cost of each employee? There's salary, there's health insurance, and there's like leadership coach. That's it's sort of non-negotiable for us, yeah. Huh. And I'm glad my co-founder. I mean, he, 
he had um, he and I I'd gotten so I was a TED fellow in um, 2011 to 14, and at part of being a TED fellow was that we got. Um, the, the pro, we were part of a program called Support TED. Mm-hmm. Um, there were lots of TED jokes and you know all that, but but what it meant was that I had a leadership coach that worked with me one on one for a period of several years, and I also won a scholarship for the Epibone team to have a certain amount of coaching. Um, and so because of this, my co-founder got really into it too, which was a huge blessing because when. I was saying, you know, look, we're going to grow the team. Our job descriptions are going to change every six months. We really need this support. He, it was not even – he just said, yeah, it was great. Let's do that. Huh. And um, one of my, um, you know, friends slash mentors, um, so, so, who I'm going to out right now, Glenn DeVree from Medidata. He's um, president of Medidata. Mm-hmm. He um, – he was someone that I asked. I also asked some of the people at TED, and I, I started looking for, like, who's our who's our startup whisperer? And he had hired this coach that we ended up hiring. He had hired her for one of the portfolio companies that he was advising. And her name is Lori Jernovich. But yeah, I work, at, I work with her individually, weekly. I also do what I call couples therapy with my co-founder on a regular basis and with our chief of staff, who's the person I work most closely with. Those are the two closest relationships that I have on a day-to-day. And um, and then every... And this is just like to, like to resolve any potential conflicts you yeah, like the before they start. Have. Yeah, you before just say, are we all on the same page here? What do we... Yeah, that's so smart. Yeah, because, you know, coaching... If coaching is only seen as remedial... Like you're you're, you're fighting a losing battle. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if if you're bringing someone in when you have problems, that's an uphill. You gotta. There's a lot of unpacking and and probably a lot of loss of trust. If you start with a working relationship and build on what works and and debug as you go, I feel like that is the secret to. Yeah. Uh, I think she's one of our secret weapons. So she's not so secret anymore. Um, you know, because I. But she is so valuable to us and um, I, I think that's one of the smartest decisions we've made was to to start incorporating that on day one and and everybody she comes once a month we're only 14 so she can still coach all of us yeah. as we scale I, I'm still not sure how we do that but because she coaches all of us you know with, at varying to varying degrees like she, I, she has me once a week but others on the team only once a month she can start to see patterns and distill those patterns. And I sometimes joke that she's the collective unconscious of the team yeah. because she can help flag issues for me and Ick, like, hey, I'm hearing this from more than one person. That's so smart. And it is really valuable. I love, I feel like that is some of the most valuable work we do. And our job descriptions do change every six months. I mean, you know, we were talking about large companies yeah. before. That would be impossible in a company that's 10,000 employees. <laughs> Yeah, but well, so smart, right? So smart. I, I, love I think there's a way to scale coaching across organizations. There has to be. I'll have you talk to our CEO. Yeah. Um, I also want to ask about. So you, you you seem fairly media savvy to me. I mean, number one, like the TED Talks, um, Wired. I saw you in in Vogue. Had a, had a small piece in you. Um, some you, some like video called the Power Walk. Like I'm, I'm questioning whether like do you do that actively as a way to raise the profile of the company? Or are those people just coming to you? They like you know once the media starts, sometimes it feeds on itself. I think, um, you know, it's funny that you say that because I've been really heads down, um, you know, especially just trying to get this IND across the finish line now for about 18 months or so. Um, but you're right. Like, the I had the TED Fellowship, and that sort of created yeah. a lot of incoming media requests um, and some media training, some. Um, but you're right. It sort of feeds off itself at a certain point. So so Blake, our chief of staff, um, who wears many hats, um, <laughs> one of his hats um, and his the, his assistant that he works most closely with has also an MFA in theater and, and has done some work in production at a, you know, on a feature film. So they actually they understand, I would say, uh, quite a lot about media um, to the extent that they. Um, they really kind of shape the story, and and with with them, it's more about um, managing incomings yeah. than than um, really generating outgoing requests. Um, and it still has been that way. It's been very good, um, but we've had we we try and really pace them because it takes a lot out of the you know to shut down the lab for even a few hours is is a lot to ask yeah. at this point. So, yeah. um, but I really trust their judgment, and I think they do a really fabulous job. 
I know I, I, I probably in one of those articles actually, but I read someplace that you you know you, you so you spend your day doing sort of the science and business, but you start every day doing something that is creative to sort of ground yourself a little bit. I really try, and yeah. I've got a small baby now, so this has been Even harder to do. Yeah, it's been it's like uh, every morning there. You know, and you got to set the bar low, you know, like for me, I, I try and have a few minutes with my journal every day um, in the morning, um, try to have a few minutes of meditation and keep that daily. Um, and if I'm and many days now that maybe the baby's a few months old, um, 20 minutes of yoga, I mean like that, not a huge big deal or going for like a jog or something, yes. but not a huge, I'm not raising, the bar's not high. It's like 20 minutes. So it doesn't have thing. to be. Just like the, the daily part of it is more important than the how much of it. So in it doesn't my have view. to be like necessarily yeah. writing or anything like that, but something that is almost for you. Jogging yeah. can be that, yoga can yeah. be that, right. Okay. I mean, I, if I don't have that, I go a little stir crazy yeah. Yeah, and it has sense. to be first thing in the morning because then the world Invades. Invades. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's um, my, I love before dawn. Like, Oh, you do this in the dark? I Sometimes, depending on when sun rises. Well, it's, it's early. Right <laughs> it's now. early now, so yeah. less so, but um, the early morning is sort of my favorite time of day. So how's it going with a with new baby? She's magical. Yeah. She's very good luck. You know, she was born and her IND was approved. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it was a couple months later, but um, I think she's been very good luck. Um, she's so inspiring just seeing her kind of wake up to the world and um, just you know a lot of people say when you look into a newborn's eyes that you it looks like they're thousands of years old you know and she has that quality for me yeah I look at her eyes and she'll just if she smiles there's like a depth there that feels really profound does it, a lot of it, people feel that, I think. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that doesn't mean... It's, Everyone it's thinks their own baby is the most special baby. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But does that... Has it changed your... Um, not priorities, but it, it's given you, you know, I think probably before the baby was born, you had sort of one priority, and that was EpiBone, or maybe mm-hmm. a relationship with your husband. But, but you know, with a, with a baby, now you've got priorities, right? Yeah, family yeah, yeah. even more important. Yeah, I mean, it's... I would say your priorities are, super, are are more than shifting. They become super clear because there's no space for anything that's not priority uh, one, two, or three. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, EpiBone's my baby. Yeah. So, you know, that so I didn't take any real time off when when the human baby was born. Um, I, I, mean, I mean, I could we had we were in the middle of like we we're fundraising. We were working on the IND. I mean, it I mean, was a like. Of weeks. I was flexible working, but I was working. I mean, we closed uh, we closed on some significant funds when she was only like five days old. Wow. Yeah. My mom lives in the building. Remember we oh, talked right. about yeah. that? <laughs> you know, so that my parents have been, um, especially my mom, you know, has really been, uh, and my, my mother-in-law, actually, they each have been huge behind-the-scenes um, support for, for, for baby Una. So... Yeah, one at least one or two days a week, each of them helps, like the whole day. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah. and then she'll be starting um, preschool in 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 just a couple months. So, yeah. So we've gotten there was there's no like heroic, uh, you know, doing this alone. It's like a team effort. Yeah. The same way a startup is. Yeah. Like yeah. You, have, you know, it's you like you need... got your runway. Yeah. Like all of the right. same stuff. And um, so I couldn't, you know, as a CEO founder, I have. A, no, not a lot of flexibility in terms of like you know splicing me out of the team is different than um, other positions like it, you know it's really hard to replace yeah. one of the founders at such a key juncture in the in the the journey of the company. On the other hand, there's more flexibility because y- you got to solve for. I mean, in this case, me. Like you have, we have to solve for what I can, what I'm doing, and um, and so you know, I, I while I didn't get a you know, I didn't take a one year, you know, um, uh, stay at home yeah. and unplug from the office type of break, which I think probably would not have worked with my personality anyway. Um, that was not an option for me. Um, however, what was an option was, you know, just uh, being, you know, f- being able to travel, you know, when she was very small and, um, you know, knowing that my mom would be able to look after her, yeah, not just not a babysitter. Yeah. yeah, she yeah. wasn't ready yet yeah. for um, for anyone but family. So 
I think um, it was, it's been so, it's just been wonderful to kind of have um, this new life also bring me closer to my own family. Yeah. And, and so that's been great. Yeah. And, um, and like I said, she's just, she's really inspiring, you know, and, and I get up, you know, it's like, in a way, because she has her needs and they're so defined, it's, you know, I don't have other, I'm not like a social butterfly. I have like the baby, the company. That's it. That's, yeah. it's, it's there, you know, like, and that's fine. Like for the stage in life that I am at right now, like I don't have the same wanderlust that I might've had in my twenties. Like yeah. I've had a, you know, it's, it, it is the right time for just it really is. having that focus yeah. and, and I enjoy it. So. It's funny. You've got, you've got like this. You can't really call Epi Bone a startup anymore, but a startup, Epi Bone, and then this startup, Una, that's... Yeah, it's funny. really a lot in common. Yeah. And I'm also not territorial about, like, needing to be the only person who ever hold, held her. You know, if I, I'm probably going to miss some of her first words, you yeah. know, because who knows gonna, who's going to be with her at that moment. Um, I have a really close... I get the chance to be with her every day. Yeah. Like, I love that. Yeah. And I'm also not territorial about being her only person you know so in a way that's like a startup too because you have the team um and uh the parents group on roosevelt island i'm like discovering is a whole layer you know it's like it's a wonderful uh, it's been a wonderful thing um probably about like 10 15 thousand that many now yeah when you were growing up how many Maybe like 2,000, 3,000. Yeah, I was going to say that has to have changed a lot. so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of construction, a lot of like places to sneak into and a lot more open space That's than there is now. now. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. we have a garden plot, you know, Good, we're growing our zucchinis and stuff. Is and the sanatorium, is that torn down? It is stabilized as ruins at the um, south end of the island, and it's, um, it's also the site of Four Freedoms Park. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a Louis Kahn memorial to FDR's Four Freedoms, and it's it's beautiful. We actually got married there. Oh, so cool. we're very Roosevelt Island. Yeah. That's <laughs> in your blood. Like, yeah. Um, I think we're good. Anything else? Anything else? I don't know. I think this is good. your show, Brady. It's good. I think we're done. Thank you. Thank you. All right, there it is. Your first rounders podcast with Nina Tandon. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm recording this outro in a sound booth in our studio. I mean, over the years, I've done my intros and outros sometimes on the floor of my closet uh, at home. It, it worked. I got the job done. But this is amazing. It's so quiet in here. I can hear the blood moving through my ears, <laughs> I swear. Um, I will put some information up on our bioengineering community page about Nina. Um, you could probably just Google her name and you'll find her TED Talks, etc. But I'll gather up that information and put it in one spot for you. Um, what else... Thank you to the Midwest Quiet for use of their music in this podcast. You know what? I'm going to put a link to the Midwest Quiet up in the bioengineering community page, too. Why not? They've been uh, the music for this podcast for years. And anything else? Uh, if you have thoughts or comments about this podcast, Nature Biotechnology Journal, or anything else that we do, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Nature Biotech. You can reach us there. And uh, I hope your summer has gone well. That is all. And goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.